0: If you'll take your Bibles once again and turn to John chapter 1, some of you may be asking, he's been in here several weeks and we're still in chapter 1. Okay, don't scare me. <laughs> the reality is that there's so much, this being the, the fourth of the gospel, and like we've shared earlier, it's... Unlike the other three that are called the Synoptic Gospels, they, they look at the life of Christ in a very similar way. John is more concerned about the message of his life than the events of his life. Not that those aren't important, not that they don't validate the message, but his perspective on the, the life of Christ is just a little different than the other three. This evening, we're going to pick up in uh, John chapter 1, verse 35. Would you read there with me? As we begin, again the next day John was standing with two of his disciples and he looked at Jesus as he walked and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him speak and they followed Jesus. And Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What do you seek? And they said to him, Rabbi, which translated means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the 10th hour. One of the two had heard excuse me, one of the two who heard John speak and followed him was uh, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He found first his own brother Simon, and said to him, "We have found the Messiah," which translated means Christ." He brought to him Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. Now the next day he purposed to go into Galilee and he found Philip. And Jesus said to him, simply, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him who whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no guile or no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered and said to him, Before Philip called you, When you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered and said to him, Because I said to you that I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see the heavens open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Let's pray. Father, may you bless the reading and study of your word in the midst of your people tonight. And may we, the body of Christ in this place, be strengthened spiritually, nourished on the very living word of God himself as he makes himself known to us. And thank you, Father, that by your spirit, the Son of God invites all of us to come and see. For it's in his precious, saving name we pray. Amen. As we begin this evening, I want to, first of all, encourage you to see there is an invitation here come and see that, and again, he says it specifically to Philip, follow me. Now, today, the word follow has a lot of meanings, you know. Uh, you can follow directions, men, sometimes, <laughs> or not. <laughs> you, can, you can follow your favorite sports team. But you don't even have to be at the games. You can look it up on the app or you can follow it on TV or those of you that still get the very much smaller circulation of the commercial appeal. Maybe you can look up the sports page. And you can follow them from a distance in that way. Seems like everybody's concerned about how many followers they have on social media. It means a lot different. But the kind of following that Jesus talked about in this uh, invitation uh, passage is really much more than just a, kind of a, a flippant or cursory or, or just a veneer. Yeah, I'm aware of that person. It really is, as my discipleship group reminds me, Brother Mike, we need to stay dusty. And I looked at the fellow that said it the first time, and I said, Okay, um, usually my wife doesn't like that, but what is? what do you mean by stay dusty? Well, he said, you know, I learned a long time ago that that being a disciple of someone in the ancient world was a lot about following them so closely that the dust of their feet got on you. And so the phrase stay dusty. That's the kind of invitation we're having here presented tonight in chapter 1 of John. The first part of that invitation is he tells us or he invites us to come and see how Jesus dwells mercifully. He dwells mercifully. In beginning in verse 35 and going down just a few verses, he says, again, the next day John was standing with two of his disciples and he looked at Jesus and as he walked and said, Behold the Lamb of God. And when he did, the two disciples heard him speak, that is, two of his own disciples heard him and they followed Jesus. We don't hear one peep out of John. Now, wait a minute. Those are my folks. They're a member of my congregation. They're my group of disciples. Why? Because as we've already seen in chapter 1, John knew exactly what his calling was. He wasn't worried about giving over these men that had followed him to the one whose sandals, the thongs of which he was not worthy to unleash. So we look at this and we see not only the fact that they moved on, but verse 38 continues, and Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, what do you seek? I think that's a great question. I think a lot of people in and around the church today don't know what they're looking for. They're not seeking much of anything. It just seems to be or if they are, they're not sure that that's the right thing. Or, or maybe it's multiple things that they're seeking. It's not that one thing. They said to him, Rabbi, which translated means teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, come. That's a command. That's a, an imperative verb. And then you will see. There's a, many, there's a lot in that very short instruction that he gives them so they came and saw where he was staying and they stayed with him again that day for it was about the 10th hour now when we look at this first part of this passage tonight and we say look he's when he invites us he says come and see how jesus dwells that is he abides where he stays mercifully with us first of all we see in this passage john once again reiterating the fact. Behold, the Lamb of God. The essence of Jesus Christ, both in time and eternity, has always been the one who willingly, agreeably, in co-reign, co-salvation work, was the one who would lay down His life. His essence has always been the Lamb of God. Now, that doesn't mean that there aren't other facets of this. One that we worship and we adore and we salute with our lives, and and we serve with our very being. There's a lot more to him, but the essence of this passage, and really the essence of John's whole writing of his gospel, was that you might see not only that you and I need to be invited to him, but that in doing so, he was the perfect means by which we could not only know God, but have our sins forgiven, our relationship with the Lord God reestablished. And our needs met. That is, everything we need for life and godliness, we find in Christ Jesus. So His essence was always that if, I, if I'm going to accomplish anything, if I'm going to do anything in my incarnation, it's going to be that role as the Lamb of God, the perfect sinless sacrifice for sin and for those needing, which means all of us, His salvation. But not only do we see Him inviting us to come and see Him dwell mercifully, but we also, we also invite, He's also inviting us to see not only His essence, but also His endeavor. What is He doing? Look with me again. And He looked at Jesus as He walked and said, Behold the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard Him and they followed Jesus. And Jesus turned and saw following and said to them, What do you seek? You see Jesus engaged followers with questions questions that would then give them the opportunity to one day become servant leaders with the truth. You see I think so many times we in churches and 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 I've served a lot of churches. I was thinking Sam today before my time at Bellevue whether it was my first role as I I'm not sure exactly what they call it now, but I was the activities director. I think it meant anything the pastor doesn't want to do, that's you. Okay. Well, it was just like jumping in the deep end of the pool, and I got a lot of experience. Went from there to pastoring several churches, and then through my educational process, coming to Mid America, and I was I was uh, serving here for a time. And actually, when I served here, I was also the last year. Uh, as a, what we call ministerial assistance today, we called them workshippers back then. Some of you might remember that term. We don't know what it means either. But anyway, uh, it's, uh, it was part-time work, full-time uh, seminary and all that. And uh, the last year I actually was preaching in, as an interim pastor in Oxford, Mississippi and working here and going to seminary. It was just full of opportunity, full of just great experience in a, in a catalyst kind of environment where I was either going to learn or burn, you know, and uh, uh, did, did uh, have a, a sweet wife to, you know, encourage me and keep me cheered on. But the reality is that when we get in churches, no matter what size congregation from human perspective it is, it's very easy for us to believe that we can do our job simply by this format, okay? Now, this is an important part of the body's work. That is, you have a teacher who stands before a group of people and exposits or teaches the Word of God. That's important. But really, we don't see that as Jesus' initial uh, approach. His initial approach was, come and see. Come and see where I abide. Come and see where I dwell. Come and see how I dwell. Come and see that I dwell not only in a public sense, mercifully, but in a personal sense, mercifully, with those I interact with. not not only was his essence to be the Savior, but he was one who was going to give not only a public display of what was right and wrong, but he was going to show how to live it personally. His endeavor, the way he approached his ministry was different. And then we also see his encouragement. He says, again, look with me. The very words that we are quoted here in verse 39, in answer to their response that they wanted to know where he was staying... He says, come and you will see. There are two different, again, verb forms. I mentioned this just a moment ago. That come is a command, okay? It's an imperative verb. It's not, well, you know, I suggest this could be it. You know, if you really want to know where I'm living, you could ask around and they'd probably tell you. You could look up, you know, in the phone book and find... Well, nobody uses the phone book. But the reality is that he could have done it all kinds of ways, but he said, no... I want you to hear me. I am, because of your interest, because of the sincerity of what you're asking, because you knew when I asked, what are you seeking? You wanted to be where I was. I'm going to tell you, now, come. That's the imperative. That's the command. And then, as a result, you will see. Come, and you will see. You know, there's a principle there for you and me today. Jesus Christ is forever asking those who will follow him, come. It's not just that initial come down the aisle, shake a preacher's hand, make sure that you've settled your salvation, let's get you lined up for baptism, and then we're going to help you find a a good life group and a good group of people to, to do life with, and you're going to continue to grow in that fashion. That is important. Please hear me. But it is vitally important you understand this dynamic. You and I often as human beings, we want to see before we come. And God's word tells us the very very Savior himself says that's not how it works. You've got to be obedient before I'm going to reveal myself to you. And wherever you're struggling right now, friend, brother, sister in Christ, let me tell you. There is a principle right here in verse 39 that you can apply to your life there is a principle that all of us can apply to our lives. If there is a place in our walk with Christ where we are just, Lord, I don't know what you're doing. I don't see how you're, you're uh, orchestrating my life. I don't, I don't know. I, I know you're there. I know you're hearing me. But I am not understanding then my, my typical thing, it's not a condemning thing, it's not a, oh, woe is me kind of thing, Mike's messed up again thing. It's just saying, Lord, is there something that I've done that I need to be repentant of? But also, Lord, is there something I haven't done that I need to be obedient in regard to? Is there something that I need to, in essence, come closer to you so that then you can show me what I need to see? And friends, many times, Many, many times you and I are, when we're very honest with ourselves, it's a a point where we've gotten comfortable with the schedule, we've gotten comfortable with where our life is, how we do things, and God is always, from the moment that He calls us to Himself, always until we see Him face-to-face in glory, going to be about the process of transforming us. We're not done material. We're not a finished product until we see Him face-to-face. And so you say, I wish I could just, you know, Dr. Rogers, you say, I thought that I was going to fight all the battles, then get into ministry. And he realized, and he said so, the battle is my ministry. And you and I need to understand that we are waging a war against our own sin nature, a world system that is against what Christ has called us to, and Satan himself, when necessary, when those aren't enough for us, he'll enter into our situation, he'll orchestrate the very hordes of hell against us as we try to come to Christ because he doesn't want us to see things and react in the ways that Christ would have us as our master and us his disciples following close after him, staying dusty, if you will. So there's not only the fact that he invites us to come and see how he dwells mercifully, but second in our text this afternoon, verse 40 picks up and we see how Jesus, He invites us to come and see how Jesus defines men. I love this. Verse 40. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew. Now, just a little insight here. The other one was John himself. He doesn't mention that, but John is the other disciple of John the Baptist who heard him say behold the lamb of god and took after Jesus but Andrew he's saying this followed Christ and his name was Andrew and Simon's Peter's brother was the relationship now look with me in 41 he found first his own brother Simon and said to him we have found the messiah the sent one the Christ which translated means Christ He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of Jonah. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. Now very clearly, I've told you before, in fact, the first week we were in this study, that like an accident scene has multiple witnesses and multiple perspectives. And if they were all exactly alike, we'd be kind of looking askance at the four different witnesses say, Did you guys get together before we showed up? Because nobody has that, that consistent a testimony among four people who've now been separated with four officers, getting their notes down, and you're telling us the exact same thing. That is spooky weird, okay? In fact, it it just tastes, it smells of deceit. Somebody for some reason is lying here if they're that consistent. So John isn't making a mistake. Some people say, hey, wait a minute. Jesus didn't change his name to Cephas when he first met him. That was later on, according to the other Gospels. You're right. But again, remember, John is not talking so much about the events, but the message. He's putting all the characters in play that he can when the Holy Spirit prompts him into the story. And so here he's saying, now, this is Simon, who was renamed by the Lord Peter or Cephas. Now, that's going to play an important part later on, but I just want you to know him now. Okay, John. So how is it important? Because you and I need to come and see how Jesus defines men. Look with me. Again, in this passage we just read, there is this, first of all, his original name uh, is Simon or Simeon, and it come, or it's rooted in the same word, as Shema. Now some of you uh, Sunday school teachers or longtime Bellevue members may remember that if you take your fingers, and let's just go ahead and do that, put the uh, finger there in John chapter 1 and turn back with me to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6 is what is recorded there in the Torah, in Moses' books, chapter 6 of Deuteronomy. You remember how to do it: Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. It's the fifth book of the Bible, and we're in the sixth chapter. Okay, now verse four: Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. That word here is is where the name. That's why it's called the Shema, because it uses the verb in the Greek language. Excuse me, in the Hebrew language, to tell the people, "Listen, hear." As I studied this week, I just, I just stopped a moment, I thought. You know, Peter and Andrew's parents must have been very optimistic people. Because they named that boy Simon. Hear her. Listener. Maybe, maybe his mom was just, I just want to raise a boy that will be a good listener when he gets married. That's not exactly how things turned out. In fact, it seemed that really Simon was, even with his time with the Lord, after he had come to be a follower, he was still a man who more often than not, he spoke rather than listened. You know, I don't think that was something new for him. That kind of approach to life tends to develop over time, over the entirety of our upbringing. It brings itself into adulthood and then we realize what a, what a <laughs> tremendous issue that is and we, we try to fix it, you know, whatever it may be. His was the fact that he should have been a listener. He was even named listener, but he only opened his mouth to change feet. He was always saying the wrong thing at the wrong time, Don. Here's the deal. You know that fisherman, young fisherman? who was always looking as, over and, as he was pulling up the nets with his brother Andrew. And one boat, maybe, maybe dad was helping navigate while they were pulling up. And he'd be talking up a storm instead of being true to his name, listening. You know, he must have looked at his dad every now and then after he'd said something he thought was real smart, real funny. And his dad just going, "Boy, boy. And in that moment, that young man would have known, you know what I... Not quite what the folks expected. I don't know if it's your family, your co-workers, maybe it's your school buddies from years ago, but a lot of us come into life, we come to this point of understanding the invitation of Christ, come and see, child, knowing that we're not what we were supposed to be. Knowing that there's something inside of us that no matter how hard we try, we just can't be what we were made to be. Maybe it was what we were made to be and designated to be by parents, or maybe it was something that we just felt was on our hearts from, well, we can't even remember when we believed it, but we've believed it all along. A lot of us are like Peter, we're struggling listeners. But I want to tell you, look what he says. Peter, whenever in the the narrative of the, public ministry of Christ, this particular change of name happened. There was a moment when the Lord God in the flesh, the creator of the entire universe and the creator of Peter, looked straight into Peter's eyes and said, up until now, everyone, including yourself, have gone back to what they thought you were going to be, what you were supposed to be. But right now, Simon, I'm going to turn things around, and I'm calling you Cephas. Instead of you being concerned about listening in a way that you could not do, you can't just, you've tried to rewire yourself, and son, your mom and dad gave you a good name, but I've got a greater plan. I want you to be Cephas, which is translated means Peter or rock. And the reason we know that is because so many have misunderstood what that particular name changed and the context context in which it it was created or mentioned was that it was about his confession of who Jesus was. Jesus had asked the whole group, who do men say that I am? And they gave him some examples, and he said, but who do you say that I am? And Peter, who was a struggling listener, opened up and said, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And he said, blessed art thou. Simon Johnson. Simon Barjona, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but God Himself. From now on, you're not going to be called Simon; you're going to be called Peter, because upon this rock, I'm going to build my church. And a lot of people believe that they were talk- that Jesus was talking about Peter. He wasn't talking about Peter. He was talking about Peter's confession of truth. I'm going to build the church on the fact that I am the Christ. The Son of the Living God. That's the cornerstone of the church, not Peter, Jesus. <laughs> yeah, I'll take that. Don't try it now. It's like Pastor says, it's too late now. <laughs> the reality is, you and I need to understand that He's inviting us all the time, inviting us, drawing us near, winsomely calling us. Come and see how I dwell. Mercifully with broken humanity. And oh, by the way, I'm much more concerned with your future than your past. Even, listen to me, even your recent past. Jamie, Mark, I, other pastors here, not only in biblical counseling, pastoral care, but across the board, we'll sit down from time to time with people. And oh, my friends, they are all concerned. They're consumed. Oh, overwhelmed by their past. And you know what they've learned? To listen to a lie instead of an imitation. The one who is the father of lies has whispered in their ear repeatedly over and over and used everything in their life and, and framed everything that happened in their life, and everything that was said in their life to tell them you'll never be anything. Look what you did. Look what you said. Look how you've hurt people. Look how you failed. You didn't do that right. You didn't do that right. And you should't have done that and never did anything about it. And they come in with a load of care about the past. And the one who's calling him, come and see. Says, I'm concerned about your future. I'm calling you not to recover your past, but let me redeem your future. Let's focus on what I can do through you, not what you can do on your own. Because you see, like, like this man standing before him at that moment, A lot of us need to listen to what God has said about us instead of what we, our family, colleagues, the world has said about us. Who you are in Christ is a whole, whole lot more important and a whole lot more helpful to how you'll live for him tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the next day than what you are being told even by your own voice. About your past. How he defines men is really important. Third, look with me again. Verse 43 in John chapter 1. He says, The next day, so we're moving right along. We're now the day that the disciples of John started following, that's day one. Now the next day, he's running to this opportunity to meet Peter. Peter started following him the second day. Now the third day, the next day he purposed that he intentionally went into Galilee. And he found Philip. And Jesus said to him, follow me. Now, the word says, Philip was from Bethsaida of the city of Andrew and Peter. I want you to see I want you to come and see, at the invitation of Christ, how he develops ministry. Third, come and see how Jesus develops ministry. First of all, he does it purposefully. He purposed to go into Galilee. Now, where he was, Bethsaida was kind of, if you're looking at a map and you think about a, a um, Sea of Galilee map or the Holy Land. We're talking about the northeast corner, really north, more north than east of the sea. That that part, that shoreline, that's where Bethsaida is. But he's going over into Galilee, really the northwest part. Not the northeast, but the northwest. So he's going around the top of the the, uh, shoreline there, the northern part of the shoreline, and into, into Galilee, and he gets the opportunity to meet Philip. Now, again, we're not told in Scripture anything except, well, he was from the same town as Andrew and Simon. So we're not told that they knew each other, they didn't know each other, maybe they were friends, maybe they were rivals. We don't know what their relationship was, except that geographically they were in the same place. And by the way, he purposed to go into a city, into an area, into a region, and he found Philip. You know what? That's interesting to me, because when I live purposefully, when I live purposefully for what God's called me as a believer to do—not me as a pastor, but me as a believer—that is the Great Commission, because that's those final marching orders. I mean, I get how we can, we we have, you know, love God, love people, share Jesus, make disciples. But that's just again based on the Great Commandment and the Great Commission. The Great Commission's right there for any church or any body of believers or any individual Christian to follow. That's our marching orders. And we do that by loving God and loving people and sharing Jesus, making disciples, yes, but the, but he did it purposefully, and then, because he did it purposefully, he found people willing to follow. You know I find that when i 'm purposeful about listening to folks, when I enter into a place, a bank, a grocery store, some of you have been praying for my wife we 're still it 's this month in fact. Uh, Saturday. Yep, Saturday will be our third, boy, I hate to use the word anniversary because that's such a good term, but our third anniversary of this walk called aggressive triple negative breast cancer. And uh, Jesus, no sign of the disease, no evidence of disease at last report, so we're walking on sunshine as they say. But we're still walking through it. We still have to have all these uh, medical things, checks, and she's on this routine, this treatment routine. And, uh, man, it's hard some days. Today's a hard day for her. But here's the deal. (laughs) Sometimes I, I do things now, three years into this, that, boy, she'd done for the first 29 years of marriage. In fact, I'm going after this meeting, I'm going to say amen. The last amen talked with the last individual. We're going to gather up the things, and everybody's going to be going home. I'm going to go grocery shopping. Oh, my. It's like, it's, like, it's like fingernails on a chalkboard for me to be in. And now she's found these new places because, you know, everything's gone up, so where's the best deals? And she says, well, uh, we need this, so you need to go here. But they don't lay it out like that other place does. I don't know where it, stuff is in that. I'll be all night. But I love her enough that I don't ever say any of that anymore. Well, most never. <laughs> and I sure don't want her trying to do it when she feels so bad. But let me just share with you <laughs> what God's doing now. And I had not got it down, Pat. Sometimes I'm so focused on those you know things that we've got. To, you know that list that she sent on the text, and I, I'm not paying attention, but I'm trying. I'm by the grace of God, I'm trying. Lord, I really don't want to be here, but you've called me to be here because you, you told me to love that girl, and I do. I really, really do. It's not even hard to do that, but part of loving her is going to the grocery store, and that's a little bit more difficult. But Lord, if there's a lost person or somebody needs some encouragement. Somebody that needs to hear the simple invitation, come and see. Would you intersect their cart with my cart? Not run them into each other, but just let us get close. Let me see something. Let me have some opportunity. You know what? God's given me some opportunities. In places I didn't think I'd ever have an opportunity. With people. I mean, look at me, folks. I'm in America today, and I don't mean this in any way bad but I am the epitome of what America is mad at okay I'm a middle-aged man who's evangelical and a flag-waving American I hope I'm a patriot okay and the world at large, not everybody, and I'm not painting anybody or any group with a wide brush, but the world is after. So when I start trying to be nice, I have to you know, talk to people about Jesus. I have to smile really big before they even see me. Okay, I'm smiling before they turn the corner. Why? Because I want to make sure that they understand I'm all about helping you. I have no strings attached. I'm not trying to sell you something. I'm not trying to get something out of you. But, oh, I want to tell you, When I came and saw, it changed my life. And I'd love to invite you to come and see too. Come and see not only is purposeful and personal, but it's also powerful. I want you to understand Philip (laughs) is found by Jesus. Now, the first thing we understand is he says, Follow me. And apparently, Philip's a real practical guy. He doesn't need a lot of explanation. We'll talk about different folks in just a minute. But, but Philip was one of those, just give me the facts, man. Joe Friday kind of approach, you know. I don't need all the you know, fluff and all the explanation. Just, just follow me was a really good approach for Philip. <laughs> it changed his life for time and eternity. We're going to see that in just a moment about how full that change was. But I just wanted you to know, right here, right now, Philip, who had been a... All we knew about him up to this point here is he is a resident of Bethsaida, the same hometown that Andrew and Simon had come from. And now, just at the prompting of the Lord's first encounter, he says, yep. Now, the Scripture clearly says, doesn't it? And he found Philip, right? Now look with me. Not only do we see that it is important for us to hear this invitation, come and see how Jesus dwells mercifully with men and women. And see, come and see how Jesus is the one who defines what men are, men and women are, in His eyes separate from what the world says about us. And it's important for us to come and see how Jesus develops ministry. He does it purposefully. He does it personally. He does it powerfully through this relationship approach. This, yes, there's full of questions and answers. And and you know what? When you begin to count up, Jesus was asked over 300 questions in the Gospels. Percentage-wise, He answered very few directly. Most of the time, don't you love this? He'd ask them a question in return. Well, that doesn't help me. Oh, yes, it does. Yes, it does. What do you seek? That wasn't just the kind of question he asked those first two disciples in our passage. You remember what happened when he was going through Jericho? And blind Bartimaeus and the Gospels tell us there was another with him. (laughs) What did he ask them? What do you want me to do? Now we would have said, Jesus, I I mean, you're the omniscient God of the universe. Don't you know what they want? Oh yeah, he knew what they needed most but they would have never been ready to receive it until they identified what it was that they needed best. And they said, we want to see. You. We want to see. You. you say, well, that's kind of an odd." You know, but if you brush over, if you, if you read it and just keep going and never think about, well, that's kind of an odd conversation, but no, no, I'm going to get on to the rest of the story. You miss the point. A lot of times... We're like that deacon that prayed every Sunday night at the offering table at my home church for the twenty year, or 18 years that I was in that little church. He pr- I could pray with Mr. Milton every Sunday night because he said the same thing every time. Now, please understand me. I love, I love Mr. Milton. He and Ms. Smith were, were incredibly faithful servants and he, w- he was not a public speaker at all. So for him to be faithful and to be one of the four uh, ushers that would come up, y'all remember when we used to come up in the middle of the service and the guys would stand at the, the table and they'd take the offering place and then they'd distribute them while somebody else sang? Well, if that didn't happen in your life, that's happened in mine, okay? I'm just telling you what happened. For him to be there every Sunday night was just incredible because it was not his forte to speak in any sense in front of a group of people. But he'd bow his head as he stood over the corner of that offering table and waited for his plate to be passed after he said amen. And he said the same thing over and over and over again. And while I know he was sincere, he wasn't very specific. Bless all those that are hurting in Jesus' name. That's how he, now, he prayed a little more, but every time. I can still remember and bless all that are hurting. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I thought, I'm, I'm, I'm sure that, and please hear me, I'm not being critical, I'm not being hard, I'm not being anything disrespectful Mr. Smith. But it just showed me, Lord, I, I want to pray with that kind of sincerity, but I believe you'd like me to be more specific. So whenever I go into a situation and folks say, Would you pray for me? Sure. What do you want me to pray for you? Then we can agree. Because I might be praying something you don't want to happen. I might be thinking I see something in your life that needs to be prayed over and you're not even thinking about praying for But if you've got something specific, let me know about it and I'll pray with you. As well as what God puts on my heart to pray for you as well. You say, what's this all about? Listen, when you and I want to see God change us, we, we begin to do ministry purposefully. We do it personally and we do it powerfully. And I believe that means that when we minister to people, we see them. When I walk in, and there's on those rare occasions, I mean, I'm, I'm not saying it's rare as it barely ever happens, but it's not every time that I walk in a grocery store. But if I get a conversation at that moment when the, I see they're responding and not running off, you know, got rushing on to some other aisle, get away from that weird man kind of thing. If they're willing to talk with me immediately, I stop what I'm doing and focus on what they're saying. Because at that moment, the most important person in my world, in my experience, in my life, is that person in front of me. Because if I'm going to get an opportunity for the gospel to go through me, I've got to be attentive. And there are some powerful moments that happen. we'll just stop and as brother steve says be where our feet are focus on what's in front of us the person that's in front of us because indeed you see god did not come god did not send god the son did not come god the father did not plan and the holy spirit did not empower jesus to set up organizations or begin programs he came to seek and to save the souls of men and women. People are the priority. Okay, it doesn't mean that those other things don't have their place, but it does mean that people are the priority, and it ought to be our priority if we're following him, because if we're learning from the master, we're going to become more and more like him. Look with me one more time. In the final passage of this, our final section of this passage, we begin. Remember, Philip, just follow. But then, (laughs) verse 45, Philip found Nathanael, I love this, and said to him, we have found him. Now, do you remember what I said about Philip? Jesus found Philip. Jesus, look, you don't have to doubt me. I know, some of you are like, what? Verse 43, he found Philip, right there in the middle of the verse. But when when Philip goes to tell tell Nathaniel, now, remember, Philip is type red, okay? He's the personality lion, okay? He's the the D on the disc profile, okay? He's the guy that doesn't need a lot of small talk, just just give me the facts, let's get it done, and, and let's go, and we don't have to debate every minutia of the issue, let's just move. And it's funny how he uses Philip, who is just, the, just just, to say what you need to say and get done. And he sends him to Nathanael. Now listen. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him whom Moses in the law and also pro- the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. You know why? I think Philip knew Nathanael. First of all, we find out later, just a moment later. Look with me. Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and said, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no God. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered and said, Before Philip called you. That doesn't mean he pulled out his cell. It meant called on him. When you were under the fig tree... I saw you. Now here's here's a little bit of insight. It was common in that day and age, according to scholars that have studied the the habits and the the, um, habits of uh, the Jewish people in the times of the Middle East, that you would study. You would read. You would ponder. You would have your quiet time under a fig tree or an olive tree. Obviously, if you're under it, it's probably because it's in, it's in season, the leaves are out, and it's a little shady in that hot part of the world. And so Nathaniel is studying. He's reflecting. Maybe, maybe Nathaniel and Philip knew each other, maybe they didn't, but somehow or another, Philip, being the man right to the point I can identify, that's A thoughtful, contemplative type. Not the kind of guy that I usually hang out with because I'm just a decision maker and let's move on. Contemplation and discussion. and That's that's not me. But here it is. He walks up to him and he says, We found him. The one of whom Moses and the prophets wrote. You know, the one you've been reading about, the one the prophecies tell about, the one you've been pondering probably this afternoon before I got here about when is Messiah going to come? We found him. And oh, by the way, he's Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Now, we get really hard on this next response by Nathaniel. It's kind of a catty comment. You know, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? I mean, it's almost like it's it's like an Alabama fan talks about Auburn fans, and I'm neither, so I have no dog in that hunt. But the reality is that that if you if you're in Tuscaloosa and you mention Auburn. I mean, the only other wall they want built besides the southern border is the one around Auburn, Alabama. (laughs) I mean, they just do not like Auburn fans, okay? Well, it might be that, but let me just tell you something else. Nothing in the Old Testament really indicates that something great is going to come out of Nazareth. You read the Old Testament. Nazareth is there. It's mentioned, but there's nothing like grand, like Messiah is going to be born in Nazareth. No, no, no. There's really no indication from the Old Testament Scripture. So Nathaniel was just that, being what he was created and and bent to be. He was a thoughtful man. and said, I don't see anywhere that there's any prediction in the Old Testament law of Moses or the prophets that says Messiah is coming from Nazareth. Hmm. You see, we need to at this moment, realize that what we're hearing is just this fourth part of the invitation. Come and see. (laughs) Come and see not only how Jesus dwells mercifully and and don't just come to see how He defines men. And don't just come to see how He develops ministry. But I want you to understand in this interplay between Philip and Nathaniel, and Jesus himself, how he defines his mission. He, Nathaniel, verse 48, said to him, how do you know me? Jesus answered and said to him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you two things here not only that verse but the verse before it Jesus had called him an Israelite indeed interesting background of the way that phrasing is there not, not that we are digging up things that aren't there it's just an Israelite is a descendant of Israel you remember who Israel was? Jacob what was Jacob's name intended to mean? Deceiver, heel grabber. The, one, the father of the Israelites was on one hand a deceiver, a man full of guile, and yet he'd been renamed. Again, very important concept that God does for those that look to him Israel, Prince of God. And here Nathanael walks in, and the first thing he hears Jesus say is, An Israelite in whom is no guile. Now, you remember, nothing is recorded that Nathanael says, Oh, no, not me. Nathanael thought he was a man, a man of faith, a man who really was waiting with expectancy for the Messiah to show up. He was being faithful, not believing that that any of the dead works of the Old Testament system would would really account for his truest need, but the Messiah was going to come. And even if it was after he died, but as he lived by faith, when that occurred, because his hope had been looking forward to the Messiah, it would be fulfilled in the coming of the Messiah. So he wasn't doubting. He wasn't questioning. He wasn't trying to blow off the, the compliment. But he was wondering, how do you know that about me? How do you know me? Because I don't know you. I've never seen you before. So not only does Jesus in his statements to Nathaniel affirm his devoted faith, that is Nathaniel's devoted faith, but he also reveals who he is when you were there, before Philip called you. Under the fig tree, I saw you. You see, that is a mark of divinity. That's a, again, an underlining. This man before you is not just a man. He's the Son of God. He's God incarnate. Now look with me as we finish. Nathaniel answered him, Rabbi, teacher. You are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. And Jesus, not not mocking him, please don't hear this, but he does just say something that is very insightful for us. Because I said to you that I saw you under a fig tree, under the fig tree, do you believe? He said, if that's all that it took for a man of faith, a man of integrity, a man of guileless character, to believe that I'm the Messiah, you will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see the heavens open and the angels of God ascending and descending in, on the Son of Man. Now here's what we need to finish up with. First of all, Jesus invites us to come and see how he defines mission. It's not about It's not about all that they had thought. They had preconceptions about what Messiah was going to be. And it certainly wasn't some walking out of Nazareth. And it wasn't an itinerant preacher in Galilee. They had anticipated a king. Let me give you an illustration. The Old Testament prophecies tell both about the lion and the lamb the king and the suffering servant i grew up just this side of the appalachian mountains my wife after we when we met not not as husband and wife obviously but when we met i found out about her family and knew, learned that her grandparents lived in denver and eventually we traveled and saw them after we were married and And actually, we didn't get there until we had our daughter, and she was, I think, two or three when we went out there. A lot of difference between the Appalachians and the Rocky Mountains when you're coming up on them. Because you see, one of the trips that we went out there, we started and we drove across the Great Plains, saw Mount Rushmore and all kinds of things, and then when they call the Great Plains, let me tell you, they're great because they just go on and on and on forever. But finally, we got to Denver. And as we were coming into that part of the country and you look ahead, the mountains, wow, beautiful. But they look really close together, don't they? From that distance. And that's what we see in the understanding of the Jews about Messiah they knew that there was going to be a a Messiah and part of his deal was going to be suffering. But they also saw the king, and because they were under Roman and, and before that all kinds of other oppressors, Babylon, Egypt, all these, they have a history, even up to the modern time, of oppression. But here, let me tell you something. Those mountains, the closer we got to Denver the further apart I realized those mountains were. They weren't like a few minutes apart if you were to walk them. They were days apart if you were to walk them. And so it is with the prophetic timeline. They saw the king and thought, all right, he's coming, he's coming, and we've got a picture of that, and he's going to throw off Rome, and he's going to be our king forever and ever. And yes, he is, but not before He's the suffering servant, the Lamb of God. And there's going to be some time, some distance between those two events. And you and I need to understand, Jesus could have been, and several times through His public ministry, he was, he was all but pushed into being that kind of king. But He knew who He was. He knew what He came to do that moment. And He did not deviate. He defined His own mission and He stayed with Him. What was that mission? Nathaniel thought it was something that he knew he was under the fig tree before he'd even come near Jesus. But Jesus says, listen, you're going to see greater things than this. In fact, I say to you, you will see the heavens opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Another reference to their father, Jacob. Remember when he got to Bethel, he was a fugitive. And that night he had the vision of the angels ascending and descending. It was a reminder. Don't don't get too caught up in the details. That was a reminder. Not that details aren't important, but for our purpose and for this moment in Jesus' beginning of his public ministry, what was happening was Jesus was saying, just as surely as that moment in Jacob's life was a reminder that God was with him, he was on the run, yes. But God had made him the one through whom he would fulfill his promises. Not Esau. Not angry Esau, but Jacob. No, Jacob didn't deserve that right, didn't deserve that privilege, but God was still saying, I'm with you. And now he's saying, you know what? The link between heaven and earth that he saw, far greater link, is the Son of Man. Not the Son of God. That's what that Nathaniel called him the Son of God, but he called himself the Son of Man. I am fully identifying with you as human beings so that I can fully be. Your substitutionary, sacrificial Lamb of God. I'm here to do one thing, and that is to seek and to save that which is lost. And he did not deviate. Let's pray. Tonight, we're going to close with an opportunity for you to respond to that same invitation. Come and see. Some of you have been holding all this. You're, you're, you're even so good and you've been doing it so long perhaps. You know exactly when to stand up and when to sit down at a church. You know when to come and when not to come. You know the language enough that you can make your way through conversations. But you've held it off at arm's length. That is, you've never really followed closely to the Lord himself. You've followed people You've followed programs. You've followed other things, but never Jesus himself. You've never given your heart and life to him. I want to tell you whether you're one who's been seeking for this, hungry for the answers that maybe tonight the Holy Spirit has revealed through the preaching of his word. Or maybe you're like Philip, and you weren't even looking, but he found you tonight here, and, and you can't but... Respond to his invitation, to his, his calling, follow me. Maybe you're like Philip and you just want the facts. And so this simple come and see really is helpful. Or maybe you're like Nathaniel and you like to contemplate and consider all the angles and all the references. Let me just tell you, the same invitation is for all of us, come and see. Because, friends, just like we started at the beginning, God reveals Himself to those who trust and obey Him. And if you're not willing to come to Him, you're not going to see what He wants to show you. You're not going to see the truth that is the very person and work of Jesus Christ. You're not gonna, It's not going to make sense. You're going to know the stories. You're going to know the the antidotes you're going to know the songs of the faith perhaps but you're really not going to get the message unless you willingly fully and personally come and see